When death finds you, may it find you alive. It's an African proverb that I've come across fairly recently and been just sort of sitting with, pondering, letting it simmer. What does it mean for me or for you to be and feel fully alive? What does it look, sound, feel like today? You know, this day, this week, this year. What does it look, sound, feel like in this season of my life? That's what I want to explore with you today. Welcome, I am Krista O'Reilly Davidegee, founder of alifeinprogress.ca and rebrandingmiddleage.com. I offer my work as a writer, grief and trauma-informed mind-body coach and joyful living educator and my work centers around the needs and experiences of midlife women. My work, more broadly, is for freedom seekers, truth tellers, and stubborn questioners, highly sensitive souls, slow movers, and non-hustlers, the anxious, grieving, weary, and healing, reforming people pleasers, perfectionists, performers, and peacekeepers, and brave, messy, curious humans ready to quiet the conditioning and noise to reclaim freedom, wholeness, and joy. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. So I'm just going to read that proverb again. When death finds you, may it find you alive. So to not die is not the same as to be fully alive, right? Obviously. To sleepwalk or, you know, live on autopilot or to be so foggy that we're wishing our lives away or whatever, you know, is that to be fully alive? As always, I want to explore this from a place of curiosity and compassion. I have no interest in speaking over your experience. Um, I trust that you are the expert on your body and life, and I am the expert on mine. So this is simply a conversation that I'm going to share you know, my point of view as it is today, this morning. So I have some rough notes outlined, but um, yeah, mostly I, I want to have a conversation. It would be a beautiful thing to be sitting in circle with you having this conversation. I'm here on Sunday morning thinking about my week looking back over, you know, the, the past week and scanning forward, not only the week to come, but also the month and the rest of this year, you know, pretty new in 2024. I'm also often, probably daily, um, thinking about the season of life that I'm in and my the work of this season. And I can say a little bit more about that um, shortly. But this is something I grapple with all the time. You know, am I fully alive? What does that even mean for me? How do I know? And then there are these sort of ideas that are in conflict. Um, we all have competing tensions and desires in our life. But we might also notice that sometimes we have values that bump up against each other. Um, stories that are in friction 
or seemingly competing against each other. And, um, you know, I'm just going to bring up some of those in this conversation as well. I, I do want you to know that I would love to hear from you. I would love for you to share, you know, what comes up for you. Are there any key takeaways from anything I share? Um, what, you know, what do you believe? What are you practicing? What are you struggling with in this season? And you can always email me at Krista at aliveinprogress.ca. Ideally, in the subject line, put something like about the podcast or something. Um, and that way, if I'm scanning through my junk mail, which I have to do regularly, I'll catch it if it's been sent there instead of to my inbox. Yeah, so I'm going to, you know, I have six points here kind of roughly fleshed out. And here are some thoughts that came up for me this morning as I was sitting with this idea. So the first thing is that in order for me to be and feel fully alive in my body, in my life, I have to allow myself to feel. May sound simplistic or obvious, but it's not. It is really not. I spent a lot of decades of my life learning how to armor up against feeling or how to try to run from it because the feelings were so intense and so scary and I didn't know what to do with them or how to be with them, how to feel safe in feeling a lot of things, emotions, as well as physical sensations in my body. So as a practice and a process, often a healing process, I believe for all or most of us, I need to allow myself to feel anxiety, joy, pleasure, grief, just all of it. If we don't allow ourselves to feel and we don't learn how to be with the feelings, are we able to live fully alive? I don't think so. However, again, it's a practice and a process. So sometimes it isn't safe to feel, right? Sometimes there are certain things that we cannot access for good reason. Often we need help, like therapeutic help, to be able to slowly, slowly in safety, access certain memories, emotions, sensations, and not go right back into shutdown or other behaviors that we've adapted as kind of coping mechanisms. So sometimes, you know, we might drink or use whatever form of drug, or we might shop our feelings away or whatever. But that's one thing that comes up for me is at the very least, I need to be learning more and more how to feel, permission to feel, permission to express what I'm feeling without shame or judgment. And for me, for instance, a lot of that is anger anger and even rage 
in the past that was just suppressed, suppressed, suppressed. And just like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so, okay, moving on. Number two, if I'm going to be and feel fully alive in my body and my life, I need to keep practicing a pause between impulse and response. So in that, you know, that's a comes from a Viktor Frankl quote. Um, I'm not going to repeat it here today, but if we aren't pausing, if we don't know how to disrupt automatic thoughts, patterns of behavior, then we're not living awake and alive. I don't think we're living on autopilot. We're living on old conditioning and stories and and belief systems that are not being examined. So we need to learn how to pause between impulse and response. We don't believe every single first impulse that arises. Um, I don't know, many years ago, I guess, I heard um, Richard Rohr speaking on a podcast, I believe. And if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I am an Enneagram one and Richard Rohr is also an Enneagram one. And so it was very comforting to me to hear this guy who has spent decades, decades in kind of soul work and, you know, this deep exploration and anyway, um, and he, to me, he's a wise, he's a wise soul, but anyway, he was sharing how something along the lines of still to this day. And I think he was in his seventies somewhere at the time, uh, maybe late seventies or something. And he was sharing that his first impulse is still, I don't know, anger or resentment some or judgment, something, something like that. Enneagram one stuff. Okay. Um, that's not who, uh, side note, our Enneagram type doesn't tell us who we are at the surface. It only tells us how we've learned how to feel safe-ish and learn how to get our needs met in a messy way in a messy world. Okay. We have to dig in deeper to, to uncover the truth of who we really are underneath all of that armor and self-protective behavior. But anyways, he was saying that he still has this initial impulse, but if he waits, then another impulse arises. So I began to really become awake to that in my life as well. And, and it was already happening, but I could give it language, you know? And so I could see that for me, often a the very first instinct I have before conscious awareness is one of these three things, you know, it's all the same, I think, but it comes out slightly nuanced. So anger, resentment, or judgment. And this shows up constantly, especially if I'm not super resourced, if I'm exhausted, if I'm ill, if I'm chronically stressed or something, then I have to really, really catch myself because I can quickly tip back over into that old pattern. But I learned that it's okay. It's okay that that is that first judgment that comes from some deep, deep place. It's, it's, it's not serving me, but it did serve me. 
in some capacity in the past. There is no shame or judgment. But here's the thing. If I keep acting on that old pattern, if I live on autopilot, I am not fully alive. I'm not showing up fully to my life and my relationships and my work and my own relationship, even with myself. I am on autopilot and it's not bringing me joy or freedom. So I learned, notice that first instinct or impulse and wait, wait 20 minutes, wait 24 hours, wait two days, wait two weeks. Usually it actually happens within a couple hours. But then the second impulse arises and almost invariably my second impulse is compassion. And, you know, it's where I can see my own kind of monkey business at play and I can offer that same compassion to the person or the situation where that initially, you know, activated me or caused I act, I got activated because of it. So we need to pause between impulse and response. Okay. Number three, if I am to live and feel and be fully alive, I need to keep choosing presence in my day to day. So one of the things I say is that, you know, if I pull my mind back from tomorrow, and I pull my heart back from yesterday, then I live with joy today. But even if I can't access joy today, then at least I'm here. You know, I'm living this day. I'm saying yes to this day. I'm consenting to being here in whatever is my current reality. And if we don't do that, we miss our lives. We, we want to numb out, rush past, you know, bypass in all sorts of ways or somehow just hold our breath until we get through. But honestly, if I look back at my whole life, there was so much that was hard that if I had done that continually, I would have missed like, I don't know, 80% of my life. And, and it doesn't mean that every single piece of that 80% was only hard. There was a lot of beauty wrapped up in there. And I would have missed that too. So to be fully alive, I have decided I must choose to be present each day, no matter what's happening. And again, this isn't news to me. I've been practicing for a while, but a long time. All right, number four, I need to be myself and I get to be myself and you get to be yourself. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what the heck I mean by this. But to be fully alive, not only do we get to do the work, it's hard work, it's challenging and stretching, but it's also freeing work to meet and befriend our true selves, that true self that lives underneath the conditioning, underneath the armor, underneath personality and all the ways that we have um, learned how to present ourselves or almost play a role in this world or in our lives, um, get our needs met, feel safe, receive, you know, get some version of belonging. All of that is, is noise. 
and it can keep us out of our out of feeling and being truly alive you know if you wear a mask if you wear a costume if you play a role you know that's some version of life but is that the same as being fully alive you know for me it isn't so often what how i envision the life journey is that the first half-ish of our life, there's a lot of this work where we, you know, we learn who we are, how we belong, how we fit into this world, etc. We somehow figure out our values, what it is that we care about. Um, and then there's this stripping away that happens as we go deeper, deeper, deeper. And if we continue to say yes to the work, then we finally meet and befriend true self. None of that's wasted. It's not like you can shortcut or bypass the work. It's part of the human journey. So there is this journey towards meeting and befriending true self. And then we step into second spring and we get however long we get to live on this planet. We, we get to practice being in the world in a new way. Um, so part of being true self or being myself or being yourself is, well, I shouldn't say for you, it is for me walking out my values. So even if I feel wobbly in myself, you know, and long before I met and befriended my true self or in my, or in my words, you know, I finally felt like I grew into my true self sort of solidly and completely, but long before part of the work for me and the stability was walking out my values imperfectly on purpose in every season, no matter what else was happening around me. This was a through line. It was a solid anchor. So that means that we need to know our true, our core values, right? Highly recommended if you don't know. Um, and so here where I wrestle a lot and I would love to get to a place of just more peace, like continuous peace in this, is that I've often felt though this conflict, but because my, my true self I thrive with lots of space to breathe, spaciousness to putter, to learn, to think, connect the dots, to integrate. I thrive and I feel like I need, like truly need a slower, simpler life just to be able to, yeah, show up fully to my life. I don't operate other than that. I end up shutting down, burning out, falling sick, you know, and we all need rest and breathing room. So I'm not saying I am special in that regard. I am definitely not. And many of you may also feel, yeah, I need that too, but my circumstances don't allow it. So for now, though, I'm not going to touch on that. I might go into the next couple episodes exploring more of that idea, the rest, and what do we do in imperfect circumstances. But for now, all I want to talk about is owning the truth of what we need to thrive. For me, thriving is the same as living fully alive. 
I talk about thriving forward through and beyond grief and trauma. So on the one hand, I know this about myself. If I push myself too much, too long past my capacity, I mean, all of us, this happens, then I kind of collapse. I can't sustain that. I can't even sustain that for a couple weeks very well. Like something will give. Um, and also, I have a value of, you know, offering my small gifts in the world within my circle of impact, hopefully to make a difference, a positive difference of pouring out compassion and resources in other forms. Lifting others up, that's part of my whole vision for my work and my whole life is, you know, reaching out my hand and to lift up one other woman. And then she does the same and she does the same and on and on and on, you know, and we band together and we, anyway, I won't go too far down that line of thought either. But, you know, so I have this value of contribution and live and purpose and that's part of it and also I often feel limited in capacity and here's the thing here's the conclusion for this little part from 52 years of experience what I know is that comparison shame judgment beating myself up because this is how I am, it disempowers and it shuts me down. And then I'm helping nobody. I'm not helping myself. I'm not helping my own children. I'm certainly not helping anybody else. I get to be me every step of the way. And, and if each of us has the resources and the, and the permission you know, and I know we don't in this world, but if we did, then each of us, as we showed up, as we show up offering our small gifts, we form a beautiful whole to meet the need of the world. I'm going to move on here. Number five, I guess I already kind of touched on this, but I, at, to feel and be fully alive in my body and life, I need to honor my true capacity as I walk out my values. So yeah, I already really, I kind of merged the two, I guess. So in review, I, otherwise I shut down, I get sick, I fall apart. I need to pour in so I can also pour out. And this is something that I speak to in my Brave and Beautiful membership community I don't believe that we need to worry about finding some grand purpose for our lives, you know, to each their own. But I like to look at other cultures, you know, who have thrived before, who have offered up wisdom to us. Um, and, you know, part of that, a beautiful example can be the blue zones, um, looking at these healthiest places in the world and how all of them from you know the littlest babe to the um longest living elder they all have value they they are 
everybody knows they have value and they offer something simply by being who they are. And, and I just, I mean, I love that. I believe that that is true. And that is what, that's the world I want to live in. We're so far from that, removed from that right now, Western culture. But I think we can actually edge closer to it again. But here's another place where I wrestle. I, this is what I believe. And also, it's something that I feel still wobbly in, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't have to give away every drop of money, time, attention, energy in order to be on purpose. The need in the world is huge. And if I don't learn how to pour in, I, I am not healthy. And I, the way that we show up to relationships, whether there's conflict or not, the way that we show up in community, especially in, you know, in community doesn't mean we share all the same values or beliefs or political ideology, right? So it's tricky. And if I am not resourced because I am so depleted, then I may cause harm or at the very least, I'm not going to bring about or contribute to positive change or life-giving contribution. But also, I don't have to give away every single drop because my own children need some of me and some of the resources. And, and I think I'm also allowed to receive beauty and goodness and enoughness because I matter too. God, just saying that is a little challenging. A little backstory. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were beautiful humans walking out their values like in really concrete ways, they were the real deal serious about walking out their values. I didn't always appreciate it, um, but huge respect. What is true is that I always, always had huge respect because they weren't people who just spouted stuff. They were, you know, hands dirty, heart wide open, feet, you know, boots on the ground, doing work to love people. And also, as a child, and even a young adult, there were times where I wished that I got a little bit more of them, a little bit more of their attention and their resources. The truth is, my children could feel like that way too. I haven't asked them. <laughs> they might, um, you know, so it's not a judgment or anything. Um, it's just acknowledging this feeling. And I, I watched them give away everything, everything. And I kind of made like a lot of us do, you know, 
based on our family of origin experience, we might kind of make these vows to ourselves. But I did, I made this vow that I wasn't going to do that, that I wasn't going to be at church all the time or, you know, constantly being with strangers where my own kids were left to their own devices. And still though, because of religious teaching and maybe family of origin modeling, I gave away, I think, way more than I had to give often. And part of my healing and learning to value myself over just the past few years has been learning how to hold, how to hold some goodness and enoughness and beauty and pleasure and and just, yeah, just that sense of, okay, enough, hold it, feel the discomfort of that. Why can't I allow myself? And if I believe that other people have a right to have enough and feel pleasure and and have good things in their life, and I'm not talking here about like stuff, you know, and excess and all of that, but can I hold it? Am I allowed to do that? Is that part of being fully alive? I honestly think that it is. Even as I grapple and wrestle, I think this is part of me being fully alive in my body and my life. Holding and then allowing goodness, you know, whatever that is, like money, attention, words, comfort, compassion, service, like whatever, it spills over. But if I run dry, I am not able to love people in the way that, you know, I want to. And part of this honoring my true capacity as I walk out my values is that I need to take responsibility for my healing and my learning so that I do not harm. And, and, you know, we don't have an hour and a half to go deeper into this, but Again, there's a lot of need in the world, in right outside our door and every, you know, throughout the world. Of course, we can't eat all, you know, each of us can't hold all of that. We do have to narrow our focus and figure out what's mine, what can I bring to the conversation or the need, um, what do I have to offer, but also if we don't slow down enough and do our own healing work, then we continue to bring all that old stuff to the table. You know, it might be intergenerational stuff that needs to be healed. It might be stuff from just our own story in the past years. Um, it could be deeper deeper stuff that has been ingrained into us, bias, prejudice, etc. And if we won't look at that and be with all the feelings and all the discomfort and all the possibility that emerges when we'll do our own healing work, then I don't think, at least for me, that I am living fully alive.
Great. The last thing that came up for the, me this morning, I'm just going to read that quote one more time to center us. When death finds you, may it find you alive. That's the African proverb. No idea where in Africa or which, you know, people that came from. Um, and so the question I'm asking is, what does it mean for me to be and feel fully alive? What does that look, sound, feel like today, this week, this year, in this season of my life? So the last point here that I want to touch on is that to be fully alive, I believe, includes being flexible. Learning how to, you know, have these deep roots, which I touched on, I think, in last episode. And those deep roots allow me to remain agile and flexible. Um, and part of that is a willingness to live open to each new season of life. I believe that we grow into our bravery, wisdom, and strength over time. We don't wait and do all the learning and all the courses and all the whatever, thinking that then we'll be wise enough. We just, you know, each day is enough. We attend to our lives. We walk out our values each day, each week, each year, and slow and steady, we grow into our bravery, wisdom, and strength. Each new season, you know, I've touched on this earlier, but if you look at my hope map graphic, it's on the homepage of my website. I'll put it in the show notes as well, not on the pod podcast player, but on my website. You'll see that there are little age references around the graphic. And that's because if, uh, as I, imagine and, and engage with the life cycle, my life cycle, um, this is how I envision it. So what is really beautiful to me about this is, like I already touched on with the blue zones, how I believe that we have work to do in a sense, I'm going to, I'm going to put that in quotes, like work to do, quote unquote, in every season, we have value and worth as long as we're here on this planet. The caveat is that I don't believe it's all about doing, you know, um, like, like often when we talk about purpose or value, it seems to be tied to productivity. And I don't like that. And I don't buy into that. Um, I think that there is just by being who we are, we naturally care for each other. We naturally support each other. We live in community. We love each other, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's not about being productive. It's about being, being fully alive, exactly who and how we are in our most healed and integrated self, hopefully. But anyways, so for me, this helps reduce anxiety and urgency, um, whether we're talking about the need in the world or we're thinking about our own work, work vision or whatever, or even like just living fully alive. Like if for you, for instance, that includes, you know, particular bucket list ideas. Like for me, I want to see more of the world. 
I really, really want to travel more. It's part of my vision. And because it, it, it teaches me so much, you know, to see this orange sand in Togo, West Africa, um, to feel that heat, to get down to New Orleans and be in even a little taste of that culture, you know, the jazz on the streets, the food. I mean, that just lights me up and fills me up. So I want more of that and I can have a sense of urgency. So whatever we're talking about, what's helpful for me is to come back to this idea of this life cycle. Not everything is for today. Not everything is for this season. Yes, I do not know how many years I get and neither do you. But uh, if I just keep living fully today and then tomorrow, there will be time for all sorts of beauty. And again, what or, or a final thought that I want to emphasize is that because I firmly believe that like we're not done at 50 or 65, like that old idea of retirement or, you know, some of these old ways of perceiving a women, a woman's value or whatever, like a lot of that. First of all, it's rooted in the patriarchy. Second, it's rooted when when it's really like it's all about the male gaze, say. And as soon as that shine starts wearing off, you don't have value as a as a human. Blah. So, but also, you know, not that many generations ago, people's lifespan was so much shorter. And now it's way larger and, you know, and it, and some, anyway, I won't go there either. I always have to catch myself from going down rabbit trails. But the way that I perceive it, it's hopeful because I know that right now in my 50s, I have a certain type of work to do. And when I'm in my 60s, there's another type of work to do. And I believe that that's where women really start stepping into their authority and leadership. So, and then you know, each step of the way, there is vitality and strength and wisdom. And we are needed at every season of life. You know, I want to be a part of encouraging women to own that, to own their wisdom, bravery and strength to see that each new season you know, that they feel excited about it, that they are open to it, that they more and more step into their authority and leadership um, and not just give up or feel defeated or washed up. I look forward. I imagine Krista as the crone, Krista as that wise woman. And I use that often as a reference point, like she draws me forward and I, you know, I scan forward and I imagine myself as that elder, who do I want to be and how do I want to be bringing my gifts to the world and building community then? And then it just helps, you know, kind of light my fire a little bit more today and help me leave, live fully alive today. So not everything is for this season. We can relax a bit more 
And then I believe that as we relax, we take a breath, we release urgency. Yes, we keep visioning and dreaming and live open to a hopeful and joyful possibility. But then we come on back to, again, what's in front of me today? What's my work today? What do I know how to do today? What do I need to feel fully alive today? You know, maybe one day that's using your voice to advocate for somebody, but another day it's get your butt to bed because you are exhausted. Um, I'm going to wrap up here. There are seasons, of, you know, deep winter seasons, for instance, of grief or deep, dark depression or other forms of crises and heartache and uncertainty. And I said it myself, like I, it took me three years after my son died to just crawl my way back up to fresh air. And then another year to kind of figure out how to transition, how to, you know, a still healing, but how to get into living fully again and thriving forward again. But one of the questions I'm sitting with is, you know, because I've named that, you know, I was in a period of survival and fair enough. There are times when we need to just go inward and, and live in a bit of a safer bubble because we have nothing to give and we are so raw and vulnerable. But the question for me is, so is that not being fully alive then? Because where I am now, I'm, I'm rejecting that, I think. Like, I still have some thinking to do and feeling my way forward. But it seems to me that the work of that season is being fully alive. It's hard. It's, you know, it's painful. It's dark. It's, in, it's not about producing or, you know, bearing fruit. But there is incredibly important work happening there. And two episodes ago, I touched on that a little bit. You know, when we're deep in the belly of the whale, so to speak. Is that not also being fully alive? So, so where I am today, I'm, I'm just going to, again, I'm going to keep letting that simmer for myself. But maybe you are there right now or maybe you are barely crawling your way back up to light again and you may not even have capacity or desire to think about this right now because you've got the work in front of you you know but I'm going to sit with this because I wonder if it's a way if it's a layer of judgment somehow or making us feel inadequate or less than or not valuable when we're in those seasons and we have to protect ourselves like we we have nothing to give or very very little for anything beyond you know remember to eat from somehow sleep you know get the help we need whatever my sense right now is that we can call that survival because we don't have a better word for it or a better descriptor, perhaps. 
But I think that there too, I was fully alive. I was attending to my life. Each day I had to say yes to the reality in front of me. I had to learn how to dip into the incredible, overwhelming pain. And yeah, I couldn't do it all at once, but that has nothing to do with it. So I think my, I'm going to leave it there. My argument is that even there, if we are consenting to the work, um, even if for survival, like literal physical, psychological survival, we have to somehow numb the pain 80, 90, 98% of the day, that's okay too, because we're working with our capacity. We're honoring our true capacity in that season. All right. So I'm going to wrap up there. Again, I would love to hear from you. Are you, you know, what do you think about this kind of thing? Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, what does it feel like for you to be and feel fully alive in your body and life today, this week, this year, and in this season of your life? I would love to hear. That is my invitation to you and um, or my imperfect action kind of offering. And as an invitation, I want to remind you or point you over towards the seasonal mindfulness journals, my my four set of seasonal mindfulness journals, spring is coming. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you might want to go pick up a spring journal. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you might want to go take a look at the autumn journal. And those are just, it's a simple way to help us live present, listen inward, notice what's happening in our emotional landscape as we also lean into a little more the reality of what's happening outside our front door. Thanks for being here with me. Until next time, make peace with messiness to make space for joy. Bye.